During the spring semester, what we're going to do is pick up in the same series we were studying together in the fall in chapel, and that is looking at the Jesus questions, questions throughout the Gospels that Jesus poses to those he meets and also to us. Questions that peel back the layers of our hearts and reveal the things that we seek after and build our own lives upon. Forty-nine days ago, I preached my last chapel here of, last, of 2019, and the last slide at the end of that message was this one. We were talking about Jesus' question, what do you want? And I'd revised my Christmas list and put this one up instead, and that the presents I'm asking for this Christmas would be to be present to Jesus, to be present to my family, to be present to this campus, and to be present to the next move of God. I kept putting this in front of me over Christmas break, and then I had this incredible opportunity to go with Mark Volkers and some students and Jake Brower to Liberia on a, on a video project. And I was praying these along with me, and it hit me one day in the middle of my Christmas break. And I don't know if it's one of those moments where you just realize what it is that you've actually asked for, or it's God's voice that just simply cuts through, but I really felt like God was telling me in the middle of that, you know, everything you've got on your list, Darren, um, you can actually give yourself. These aren't things that you actually need me to create in some sort of miraculous turn of events in your life. You can do this. You can take these steps. The answer to the things you're asking for are actually within your own reach. And the one that I want to talk about um, that hit me the biggest over Christmas break was this last one. I prayed that I would be present for the next move of God. And then he took our team here. Tom had been doing some research beforehand, and one of the statistics that we came across is at the turn of the 20th century, in this geographical block in Western Africa, there were nine million believers. Today, there are half a billion. And I remember re coming across that and looking down and thinking that this red African earth that I'm standing on is actually the reddest hot place in the history of Christianity for the transformation of the gospel. The more people are coming to Christ here. I left the place that had the richest, biggest economy in the world where we had just spent a trillion dollars on Christmas giving and retail sales to go to the poorest place on earth to find the greatest move of God in all of history. Didn't take God very long to answer my prayer, did it? To stand in that place and then to go and see those churches and experience what we experience where God is moving at incredible rates and it shows us again it takes so little resources of man to make the inbreaking of the kingdom of God come in. God will have his way when his people are wide open to whatever it is that he wants to do. And we saw a church that was alive and vibrant in literally the poorest place on earth. We threw, flew 15,000 miles um, to go there and back to see a place where people right now are making $710 on average a year. That's less than $2 a day. Even the 10th poorest country in the world actually makes more than double that. And we encountered a church that was vibrant and full of joy, that knew fellowship in a way that we rarely experience today. 
I went and spent time with an old friend I've now known for 12 years, Emmanuel Bimba, and got to see these churches that they're planting and the vision that they have for turning a country upside down. And Nobody in this life has taught me more about the Christian faith and what it really means to follow Jesus than Emmanuel Bimba. We encountered all different faces and people, beautiful image bearers of God in a church that was vibrant, orphans, elders in different churches. We watched their radio program with meager resources of a church finding ways not to feed themselves but rather to feed others with the word of God because it was just absolutely imperative upon their lives that everybody would know the joy that they had found. That the gods weren't angry at them anymore because God was pleased to delight in his children and they wanted more people to know. So with meager resources and a tiny church budget, they're proclaiming the gospel. We grabbed their stories wherever we could, and Nick Schnell, Tom Ord, Demetrius Rouser, Jake Brower, Mark Volkers, and myself went along and saw all of this. It's hard to put into pictures, and it's hard to put, even harder to put into words. This is sort of the smiles of 2019. Who wore it better? We even got to meet one of um, Dort University's newest students in our grad ed program, the principal of the school there, Derek Dennis. I got to give him his first Dort t-shirt. That's the longest I've ever gone to deliver somebody their textbooks. (laughs) And he was elated. Saw senior design projects from Dort students in years past, like bridges being built, water towers and infrastructure. We began to realize that these small little acts of service from a place thousands of miles away can have a profound impact. And this is only one snippet. This is one sample of that kind of storying. Dort alumni do this all over the world and in so many different ways. All of you here as students came to Dort after this time, but in 2015, our campus got introduced to these two people. Abraham and Agnes, they live in Foya in Lofa County, northern Liberia, the epicenter of the Ebola outbreak. He's a pastor there, and she had it laid upon her heart when she saw in these remote communities were completely wiped out by Ebola with only a few children left alive that she needed to take them all in. And Dort students that Christmas raised $18,000 and planted the seed bunny, um, and we rented out a facility looking for property to build, and we got to go on this trip to the place where all of those kids who've now been taken in and have found a home When you sing songs about the orphan finds a home in Christ and you realize that it's small sacrifices and giving up things like a coffee over Christmas break collected by Dort students that actually build homes for people. Let's see if I can play this here quick for you. Of course, the video is going to stall on me. You know, when you don't run PowerPoint in your churches, you don't have this problem. Okay, so there's this great school. It was just amazing to be able to see and to be in this place and realize that seeds that were planted years before by students that you didn't even know right before a Christmas break, um, compelled by a story, ended up getting involved in something like this. 
So we got to see that and come back, and we'll tell that story a little more in video later, but this trip in particular, we went to go see these people. These are five of the 20 to 30 pastors that Emmanuel Vimba now mentors and leads in their churches. The only theological training they've ever gotten is from Timothy Leadership Materials. And over the last number of years, um, a pastor from this area named Reverend Dan DeGroat, pastored for years at um, Covenant CRC here in town, now attends Trinity uh, Christian Reformed Church in Rock Valley, 30 years ago had a dramatic encounter with um, Tony Perkins and started Justice for All Ministries. And now at 72 years old, for the last six years, he's been going for almost a month every year to go train these pastors and spend time with them. It's the only theological education they've ever had. And he's formed these deep friendships with them. And the goal this time was as the culmination of all of their training that we would actually go together and he wanted to commission them and he wanted us to wash their feet and to send them out. And that was the goal of this trip. And then was so to start with that and then to be able to go out and then visit their churches in the places where they were preaching, the places where they were planting churches. Many of them in communities where the first Christian witness in all of history was taking place. It's just something to be able to stand at the tip of the spear in missions. To stand at the very frontier of where the gospel is going for the first time ever and to see the dramatic impact that it's having in places like that. My videos aren't liking me today. We had the opportunity together to wash these people's feet and, and then go visit all their churches. But visiting their churches meant going great distances through horrible terrain. The, on this day, we had to travel five hours on dirt roads through 4x4s, um, dirt roads that were washed out. We got high-centered here and took, had to take out a shovel and get a little bit of work done in order to get out. And in a place where you're actually too poor to owe a tow rope and the proper supplies to go 4x4ing, our driver actually went into the back seat, cut out the seat belts from the back seat, and fastened a tow rope together so that we could actually get out of where we were stuck, so we could keep going. And after five hours of driving, we got a little bit dirty, riding in the back of trucks. We had to cross bridges like this in order to get to these places to finally arrive at churches that look something like that. Bamboo reeds cut in half to fashion pews. Little grass sort of covered walls and sheet metal found from around in order to make a roof. And they were so proud to show us the first house of God in that community. And it was so beautiful to see your own faith enlivened and realize that what God can do with so little when it's just offered up in obedience and in sacrifice. We went to these far-flung places. We traveled all these distances and got a chance to wash their feet and then go out and see where they are. And it struck me that Jesus had taken in the same way these 11 disciples left, his 11 teenagers, and then sent them out with the same commission to go and, and to do what these pastors were doing. And it felt like each day when you're in places like this, like you're turning the pages in the book of Acts and experiencing what the church experienced when it first started growing. I want to read this passage to you as it introduces the question we're asking today. It comes from John 13. 
It was just before the Passover festival. And Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. i got to stop on this line for a second. I love this. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So Jesus knew that everything is under his power. You see, when anybody of earth realizes that everything is under them, they assume a position of authority and of power. They often um, have pride associated with that. But look what Jesus does. It's for that exact reason. So... At that, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, that is a really big so. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. You see, you can take the posture of a servant when your identity isn't up for grabs anymore. When you have spent time with Jesus and you know who you are, then to go and serve somebody else doesn't mean you're of less value than the person you are serving. It means that you understand your place and that your identity and your value and who you are in this world and who you are in anybody else's eyes isn't up for grabs. Your reputation doesn't change that. Your titles don't change that. Your wealth doesn't change that. Jesus knows exactly who he is. And he needs us to know who we are so we can do the same. When you're that secure in the love of the Father, you could take the posture of a servant in this world. You know, there are so many of us who go off to college and we try to put these building blocks, these pieces in place to create social mobility for ourselves. But the social mobility that Jesus teaches us is not climbing up a ladder, but rather it's descending social mobility. It moves the other direction. I wonder how many of us as followers of Jesus today actually understand discipleship as downward mobility rather than upward mobility. That the goal isn't to grow in wealth and to grow in fame, but to grow in humility. And not false humility. Humility. Where you actually look at other people as an opportunity to serve them. Not because you are less than them, but because you already know who you are. And you want them to. When the joy of Jesus is so complete in you that it's starting to overflow and other people are starting to feel the effects of it. When our witness comes not out of compulsion or Christian guilt, but because you know who Jesus is so well and have experienced his blessing in so much fullness that it's just starting to pour out. It's emanating out of you. It's affecting other people. You are Jesus contagious because of what you are experiencing. That's the invitation. That's what Jesus wants his disciples to experience in this moment. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. A menial task so disgusting that in their their cultural context, not even Jewish slaves were required to do this. You had to be a foreigner slave, according to their laws, to wash somebody else's feet. And then he took time to dry them. I kept thinking as I had a chance with Pastor Dan to wash 
these church planters, these disciples' feet, I looked at their feet and I thought of the places that they would walk, and I'm sort of praying over them as I'm washing their feet. It's the first time I've ever actually done this. And was thinking of all the places that they had been and all the places that they would go. And I read from that passage how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And I thought that these leathered, worn feet that have never enjoyed the luxury of shoes like I get to every day may very well be more beautiful in the eyes of God than my own. That in such a hard place they've walked through civil war and through difficulty. They don't have cars. They travel by foot to visit all their parishioners. That's what those feet do. It's so beautiful. And then Jesus comes to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Peter's pride gets in the way. And Jesus tells him, you didn't realize now what I'm doing. But later you will understand. Understanding becomes the key word of this entire passage, so focus in on this. But later you will understand, he says. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. But Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. See, Peter rejects because he understands what we also understand. If Jesus, the King of Kings, bows down to wash our feet, then what does that mean for us if we're going to find a place beneath him? How much lower can you go? How much more of a servant can you become? If you knew that denigrating yourself created an opportunity for someone else to experience the love of God, would you be willing to do it? That's basically the subtext of the text, isn't it? And Peter snaps in reply, not just my feet then, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath, you know, only to wash their feet, Peter, their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who it was who was going to betray him. And that's why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is what I mean to the key to understanding. Here's the Jesus question today. We'll be closed with. He asks them, do you understand what I've done for you? Do you get the full implications of what this means? If God himself comes down and meets us in a cradle in the dirt, put himself in such a place that he was dependent upon human care, upon a mother's milk for sustenance, the father's hands to change diapers. God himself put him in a place that vulnerable, that dependent, in order to bring about the salvation of the world and then tells us that part of his example that is being set for us is that we would do something of a similar manner. To disciple Jesus, to apprentice him, to follow behind him, isn't to assume positions of authority and glory in this world. 
But rather, the greatest of Christian witness and that which affects the world the most doesn't need wealth. And I learned this so much over Christmas. To leave from the wealthiest economy in the world to go to the poorest and see the church growing and exploding there. Call this a coincidence. I go from the place in a country where we're closing 100 churches a week to the place where it's growing at the fastest rate in human history and wealth is at the opposite end of the spectrum. Maybe, just maybe, we're choking on our own affluences and our own opportunities. Maybe, just maybe, Maybe full dependence on God is created when we find ourselves patterning our lives after Jesus, seeking after a form of downward mobility and whatever form of obedience that looks like for you and for me. Because Jesus said, I have set you an example. This isn't some theoretical parable where we're all just sort of left wondering the meanings at the end. John, a disciple who was probably there in the room, goes back and tells this story on the night when Jesus introduced the Lord's Supper, but he skips that part in his gospel because this, apparently for him, was the most impactful thing that he experienced. And he focuses in on this because God came and washed his feet and then told him that he had to do the same. So do you understand what I've done for you? Do you understand what Jesus has done for you? Do I understand? I think it's the purpose of our lives to spend time trying to grasp the significance of what it is that he's done. And the greatest hurdle at times for any of us overcoming that is often our pride. It's how we envision ourselves moving ahead through this life. And I hope that there are visions in your mind of how you are going to not move forward in this life, but move into places of service, into places of obedience, whatever that cost is. Are your and my lives still all about the advancement of the gospel? Or does the, the advancement of my retirement portfolio, or my family tree, or my legacy? We use language like this, like we are gods to be honored. At times we do, let's be honest. At times I have. This is why I'm convicted of this so deeply. This is why I'm talking about this, because this smacked me in the face. I realize I do this with my own life. It hit me the most on this trip. The offering was being taken. The offering is always the biggest celebration. It's like the center of the liturgical moment, often in their churches. So for, imagine this, right? The people who have the least amount of any other humans in the world celebrate when they do an offering. I've actually seen conga trains break out during the offering at church. Everybody's just so excited about it. One of the young men in that church who was the only one this year who's going to graduate from college. And other people in the church had helped contribute to this opportunity. During the offering, he took his diploma and he offered it back to God. Without money to give, his offering was his degree. In front of the whole church, basically in a public statement, right? Saying, hold me to this. I offer this back. You guys, it is so easy to forget that we are some of the most wealthiest, most overwhelmingly blessed people when it comes to material opportunities and educational blessings in the world. We are the elite of the elite. I have never once thought a day in my life about taking my diploma which sits as a trophy in my office for my accomplishments, and laid it in an offering plate.
because everything I have is God's. I just wanted to challenge us all this morning to think about these incredible opportunities. Look where we are. Look at what we have. Is this our offering back or not? When you sit down and you do your homework late at night, and you dig a little bit deeper when your tank is empty, and you think about your degree and you imagine yourself in a workplace, do we imagine ourselves moving forward? Or do we imagine ourselves moving downward? Would you offer up your degree, the opportunities you've been given, so that someone else would know, so the world would see how crazy we are, how beautiful it is to follow Jesus? You know, somebody once asked Gandhi, how come you ride third class? Gandhi answered, because there's no fourth class. He understood the gospel pretty well, because this is the same person who once remarked that if Christians actually followed what Jesus said, they would turn the world upside down. The more seriously we take the things that Jesus tells us, the greater our influence and impact grows. And it often doesn't come from the top down. Jesus died to show us it comes from the bottom up and from the grave out, from death to resurrection. This is cruciform living, and it's what we're called to. Make yourself a servant of others and start developing spiritual muscles for self-denial already now to live for the others around you. This is practice in this community. The world is waiting for a powerful impact. Will you offer your degree, your diploma, and all that you are to the king who did it for you? Not because you have to. It's because you get to. Will you pray with me? Lord, you are good. And your love endures forever. It's good to be reminded again of the incredible opportunities that we have. So often we feel overwhelmed by the things on our calendar, the anxieties that we feel, the social pressures that we're under, the notion of performance, a calendar of constriction expectations that never seem to end. Father, I just pray for freedom in this room. For all of us to know that we are yours and we are adored. You left heaven itself to come and walk this earth and then stoop even lower yet and wash our feet. And your invitation for us to do the same for others around us an invitation into life and likeness like you. Father, thank you for the example in Jesus. Not just the salvation, but the way he taught us how to live. Pray that we get really good at it. That we'd offer ourselves in whatever act of obedience you're asking us to do next. One faithful step at a time. In the name of our servant king, Jesus we pray. Amen. Will you rise and receive a parting blessing?
My friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, Stuart University community, may God bless you with opportunities today to serve others. May he open your eyes to look upward and see not only him, but everybody else that you have an opportunity to lift up and to serve. Go with eyes wide open. Go with hands ready to serve. Go with a heart of humility. In Jesus' name, amen.